0: liftoff we have a liftoff
1: Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? I'm going to try to not be alarmist. Uh, I I don't want to alarm anyone. But I I have some audio I edited it. I had to trim it down because it was about seven minutes. I got it down to about two minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, And I I need to set the stage for you here. Uh, There have been a couple of cases, at least one documented case, in Michigan, in foster care of abuse. And the family homeschooled the foster child and abused the foster child and essentially used the homeschooling as cover to abuse the child so the child, there was uh, no, no place for the child to go to get help. It was uncovered. Sad, tragic case. The attorney general in Michigan is very progressive. And the attorney general in Michigan has decided she wants to have every homeschooler in the state registered with the public school system, and the state should have the authority to do warrantless searches of the homes of students who were being homeschooled, taking one tragic incident and trying to use it for a massive power grab against homeschools. There is a growing progressive movement against homeschooling, even as a growing number of black and Hispanic parents have decided to homeschool their kids after all the COVID stuff. There's a massive movement underway now on the left to up in homeschooling. So the uh, Board of Education in Michigan, this issue came up. And I want to play you part of this, and it doesn't sound like They're going down the road, so this is where I want to be Not alarmist It doesn't look like uh, the Board of Education for the State Board of Education is going to head this way, but you should hear some of this conversation. Uh, I'm going to play you the audio of two different people. There were a couple of others. Generally, everyone is kind of of the same page here, but listen to some of this.
2: But certainly a mere registration, a list of people, is not going to have anything to do or will not help prevent – um, what Attorney General Nessel is talking about. So she's already kind of said the quiet part out loud. She basically said, we want this list so that we can have unwarranted home entry, uh, without a warrant. Warrantless, uh, home entry into homeschool, into this particular targeted group. Um, and we want to be able to go in there and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad things happening all around the state potentially in some houses, but we have a legal system that says you have to have a warrant before you go in. However, um, because of this one instance, uh, you know, some in the state want to be able to barge in and, and bust the door down and, and I'm not being, you know, it's not hyperbolic. I mean, if they knock on the door and they say, no, I don't want you to come in. And there's all kind of reasons not to have them in. I, I don't. I hope I'm not the only one, but you know, there's to have the government come into your house, I don't know, there's a, a book called Three Felonies a Day. I can't remember the guy's
1: name that wrote it, but I mean, if the government... Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz wrote the book, Three Felonies a Day, How the Feds Target the Innocent. Uh, Harvey Silvergate and Alan Dershowitz. I'll interrupt the guy there.
2: ...to get you. They're going to find something. Uh, and so you. there's just, without warrant... They shouldn't be coming into your house.
0: My resolution that I presented this morning, I wish that we would uh, consider it. I don't think it's an issue that's going away. I think students have a constitutional right and reasonable expectation to privacy. I do. Um, I've been very clear, too, and forthright with the fact that you know it's oppressive to ask a student that has left the public education system for whatever reason they've left to then ask them to register with that same system. We wouldn't do that in any other uh, facet of society, and so to give people the freedom to exercise choices that work best for them is extremely important. Um, just because we're one of 11 states doesn't mean the other 39 are doing it the right way. I, I, I don't think we need to approach it that from that perspective. Um, and I just really want to push back on things we've talked about at this table. Public education is not safer than homeschooling, and that That means it's incumbent upon us to address that. There are multiple pieces of evidence that we've discussed here at the board table time and time again that we do nothing about. That prove public education needs a safety overhaul before we can claim that homeschool leaves students more vulnerable.
1: Yes, exactly. It doesn't look like they're going to go down this road, but there is a very clear path. Uh, of regulation. Let let me give you some data about uh, homeschooling. Uh, Here are the states that require no notice to a local school district about homeschooling. Alaska, Connecticut, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Missouri, New Jersey, Oklahoma, and Texas. Now, the states that have um, very high regulation for homeschooling is Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. States with very low regulation of homeschoolers, you've got to notify the local school district, but otherwise there's there's not a lot of com, uh, regulation compliance. California, ironically, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, Arkansas, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and Delaware. Uh, Illinois is a state where there's no notice to school districts required, which is somewhat ironic because in Illinois a couple of years ago, They tried to force homeschool parents to join the teachers' unions, which is hilarious. Um, The fact that Michigan's attorney general wants the state to change its homeschool policies to require registration of homeschool students so that she then has the power to conduct warrantless searches of homeschools because of one incident over foster care, is a massive power grab. But I can tell you, I can see where we're headed in this country. As more non-white people are pulling their kids from public schools. In fact, you know, there was a story in, I went, whoa, where was it? It was the Washington Post. I want to say it was the Washington Post. The Hamas supporting Washington Post of a a number growing number of black families in Virginia that are pulling their kids out of public schools. And one of the issues, it it was somewhat, of course, the only way the Washington Post would support this, was they didn't think their kids were being taught uh, real African history. And these parents wanted their kids to know more about their African cultural roots. And so they decided to homeschool their kids, and they were praising this. The same Hamas supporting Washington Post did another story, about a uh, white Christian family that had turned their back on homeschooling because they were homeschooled by fundamentalist Christian parents and they didn't want to be like their parents and they wanted their kids to go to school and they wanted their kids to learn about tolerance and openness and have gay friends and and transgender friends and and, uh, homeschooling was bad and misogynistic and oppressive. They couldn't pick up their mind, couldn't, couldn't make up their mind in the Washington Post how to spin it. The reality is, Most homeschool kids are highly, highly educationally advanced compared to a lot of public school kids. The joking about homeschool kids is that they're not well socialized. And in many cases, I think that's true. I'm going to dance around this one a little bit and be diplomatic about it. I, um. I I I know a kid who's homeschooled. I know a lot of people who are homeschooled, by the way. And most of them, by the way, fantastic uh, socially adept. But there's this one. It's the stereotype of if the kid sees me, he follows me, and engages in nonstop conversation, and can't get the social clues that I'm I'm busy or I'm tired of the conversation or I need to talk to someone else. And, and it's I, I I chuckle the whole time about it because it's such the stereotypical the stereotypical homeschool kid. Uh, but at the same time, uh, some of my best friends grew up homeschooled, and they're some of the smartest people I know. Uh, their, their level of education that they had. Homeschooling is actually, in most cases, very, very good. Uh, I, you know, I do ads for Hillsdale College. I love Hillsdale. I've got a number of friends of mine who were homeschooled, and they went to Hillsdale College. They are more well-read than almost anyone else I know. Uh, I can have a conversation with them about a lot of the stuff I'm reading, and studying in seminary. Because they had to do it in college or they did it in high school. I've got one of them. His parents made him read all the great classics. He had to read uh, Plato. He had to read John Calvin. He had to read Martin Luther. He had to read, uh, he's not even Catholic and had to read the works of Joseph Ratzinger who became Benedict XVI and had a, a deep philosophical theological understanding. And he, he's read all these great philosophers and could pick them apart. And he's got this brilliant scientific mind. His dad's a chemist and His dad taught him chemistry in the homeschool program. And then when his parents were deficient in what they couldn't read, they put him in a homeschool cooperative. And the other parents who who had different good math or science or whatever, they participated in great education. And that's the norm, is a good education. Then you get them in a a homeschool cooperative, and they learn socialization skills. And progressives hate it. Progressives hate it because... They're not learning about transgenderism, or if they are, they're learning it's counter to biology, which is true, it is. They're not learning about Black History Month, unless their black parents were homeschooling their kids and what their kids know about it. They're not learning about the intersectional, uh, woke, indoctrination school theory of the day. They're learning real math. So my kids are in a classical uh, Christian school. They use Saxon math. It's what a lot of homeschool families use. And it's real math. It's the math I grew up with. It's it's the non-common core math. It's the math that you and I grew up with. And it's really good. And, in fact, uh, my daughter, is she's got a 100% of the I, proud dad moment. Y'all, I went to law school because I wanted to never have to do math again in my life. And here I find myself in business doing math. I saw a meme the other day of, of somebody. It was a guy walking down the street smiling, saying, just thinking about how that math I learned in high school. I've never had to use it since, and I literally the other day needed to do the formula to figure out a percentage increase for my business. It's like, oh, my gosh, i got to Google it. Here I am having to do the math, that I went to law school to avoid ever having to do the downside of owning your own business. But my daughter has 100% in AP calculus right now. Ow. I have no idea. She clearly got this from her mother, whose father is a Georgia Tech engineer. I just I, – I don't understand how my kid has such a uh, – has 100% in AP calculus because I assure you that I wanted nothing to do – geometry and trigonometry, and that was my thing. I was fantastic. Uh, I, I won an award in Louisiana, a top geometry student, when I was in like 10th or 11th grade. After that, it was all downhill. I am the guy who still has nightmares on occasion where I wake up and think, oh, my God, I don't think I finished my math class in college. Did I really graduate? I, I, Y'all would be surprised how often I have that. It's always the math class because I skipped that class. I have no memory of ever going to math class. I, I knew I could do the test. I took like the the, the, the bottom rung math class that you had to take in college. I knew I could get by without ever going to class and get it done. I never went to class to this day. I'm in my 40s and wake up to nightmares that I don't think I actually graduated from college because I don't remember going to math class. I didn't, but I did take the test. I got a B. The point here, though, is not about me and my kid. The point here is that as homeschooling becomes more of a thing, you're going to see progressives try to regulate it even more because progressives resent like hell the idea that parents should be able to educate their kids as they see fit as opposed to having them indoctrinated by the state. The wokes do not want a generation of non-woke kids being raised on truth by their parents. It's a dangerous thing for indoctrination he'll do the research
2: and give it to you straight
1: Eric Erickson
2: is live every weekday want to be on the show come on be on the show Call Eric now
1: at 877-973-7425. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The full number, 877-973-7425. Let's go to the folds here. James, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. What's going on?
3: So I was just listening to your last segment about homeschooling and everything, and i just going to put my eye a little two cents about it. Um, first, yes, I do believe that if they want to register homeschoolers with the school so they can go in people's houses as if they're schools or something, very wrong, like that. And I'm independent, actually, but I don't like that at all. Um, But from my experience, I was homeschooled from second grade until uh, college, but that was until 12th grade. But that's because when I, um, in eighth grade, I actually tested to go to public school, and they tested me out all the way up to 11th grade, and my parents were like, He's too young to be with those kids right now, but um, the other part that you were talking about, where we do have awkwardness and everything, thank God I had friends that had sports, so I was a little awkward or whatever. But after I got older and went to college and everything, I did work out of it. Um, but it all sorts itself out. Yeah, it does. I do have friends that still, you know, are a little awkward and everything, but you know I get used to it. But I do notice that most of that happens to kids who just stay by themselves. I was going to say, make sure you put your kids with other kids that are homeschooled or put them in sports or something like that. And also, make sure you like understand the, the subject that you're teaching your kids. If not, you can get somebody who also help you homeschool or other yes. parents who know those subjects better than you, and they can teach your kids. That was the one other problem I had, but after my mother figured it out, I did really well after that. That's I'm fantastic. Even, I honestly wasn't going to put my son, I was going to put him in public school but looking at public schools, he's only two, and he just got born, and now I'm a father, and now I'm looking at him like I went there the last on I homeschooled. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I, look, I, I get that. James, thanks very much for the call, and, and you're right. Listen, the, the socialization skills they are important, and and parents who homeschool should be mindful of that. And, and sports is a great way. You know, there's a uh, the, a number of states have passed. I think they call them Tebow bills, uh, named after Tim Tebow, to allow homeschool kids to play in after-school sports with public schools. And that's a great way to socialize kids who are interested in sports, but so many other good ways out there to, to engage in the socialization skills. But, uh, I am a big proponent of homeschooling. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think about the pioneer woman, they didn't do it for political or religious reasons. They just lived out on a farm so far for everything. Y'all know the pioneer woman from food TV, they homeschool their kids. She's got great homeschooling resources on her website. Um, a lot of people do it just by necessity. And, um, Totally understand it. Big fan of it. Um, I know so many great people who are homeschooled. Uh, You know, uh, due to the recent un-American antics, a lot of U.S. banks have been pulling, I mean, for example, uh, sharing lawful transactions with the federal government uh, without even a federal warrant, they just share them, or prohibiting people from making certain purchases with their debit cards. Old Glory Bank is announcing it's Americans' Banking Bill of Rights. It's a big deal for banking consumers. Old Glory Bank believes every American has five inalienable rights. Freedom of association, the right to bank without the risk of cancellation because of your church or political affiliations. Freedom of financial privacy, the right to banking privacy shielded from government snooping of your personal financial transactions. Freedom from censorship, the right to access online payment apps without the threat of cancellation by big tech censors. Freedom of lifestyle, the right to bank services without limits imposed by the government, social credit scores, and freedom of American values, the right to bank with institutions that respect and support American values. Old Glory Bank holds those beliefs to be self-evident. If you do too, download your copy of the American Banking Bill of Rights at oldglorybank.com. Share with everybody you know, you get a free checking and savings account, no fees. Old Glory Bank, terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC, equal housing lender.
2: got the courage to tell you the truth, even when it isn't popular. You're listening to The
1: Eric Erickson Show. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. 973 7425 Should you wish to be on the program, delighted to have you with me. As always, I, I, I want to talk about... Um, I, I want to talk about institutional knowledge, and I, I know this sounds very boring. Telling you I want to talk about institutional knowledge, uh, we might as well be talking about how to change the oil in your car. It's it's not a um, not a not a exciting topic. It sounds like, but let me let me just show you what I mean here. I want to play you this clip. This is from uh, Erie County, New York. In New York, they've gotten rid of, uh, they've done bail reform and got rid of, of cash bail, among other things. This is the sheriff of Erie County, New York.
2: The city of Buffalo and some of those 1st Spring suburban areas are, are, are having double-digit car thefts
1: in a week, sometimes in a day. People are stealing cars
2: at a record rate. There's no consequences, accountability, repercussions.
1: This has everything to do with... The bail reforms in New York, people are getting out of uh, jail much easier. They're returning to the streets. They're going right back into crime. What we call the Dark Ages came about because of the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire. The Roman Empire over time became so unwieldy, they divided it essentially, um, and so you had the eastern half of the western half. The eastern half survived, became the Byzantine Empire. The western half, western civilization collapsed. And the barbarians crushed through the gates. They burnt libraries. They killed a lot of people over time. And institutional knowledge fell away. And there's a very good uh, historic point here that you will all understand concrete. The Romans, inarguably, made better concrete than we do in the 21st century. Roman concrete lasts thousands of years. Modern concrete lasts 100 years, maybe. The city of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, has an elevated interstate system through Birmingham. And pieces of it started collapsing on people a few years ago. And they realized, oh, they had built this elevated interstate system uh, to last 30, 40 years. And guess what? 50 years later, they had forgotten to upgrade it. And they had to shut down the interstate system in Birmingham, Alabama, for a good long while and completely rebuild the interstate system. There was a parking garage uh, not far from me that was supposed to last a very long time. But the concrete started crumbling. But Roman concrete... The Colosseum still stands. There there are harbors in use in Europe today that were made by the Romans with concrete that's still as good as it was when it was new. And we've only just, we think, in the last six months, literally the last six months, uncovered the secrets that made Roman concrete so significant. And it was lost with the Dark Ages. The recipes, the how to do it, were lost with the Dark Ages. A lot of monasteries began preserving the records of the Roman Empire. A lot of Christian monasteries began preserving the documents of the Roman Empire to preserve the knowledge when, when people went feral almost. You know, many of the documents we have of, of uh, ancient Greek authors, of, of whether it's, you've got Ptolemy from Egypt or whether you've got Plato, uh, Aeschylus, uh, Aristophanes, and the like, they were actually, um, as the Roman Empire began to crumble, Islamic scholars began to take the writings of the Greeks and Romans, translate them into Arabic, and it was actually the Islamic scholars who preserved a lot of Western civilization uh, before they were retrieved. The um, Byzantine Codex of the Bible. So there's an Alexandrian Codex and a Byzantine Codex of New Testament script, and they don't vary, uh, but they're translated slightly differently differently. They come from different age points. Part of the Byzantine Codex came from a guy who was in a cafe in Byzantium in like the 15 or 1600s and noticed the parchment paper that was being used to serve the, the fish and realized it was ancient copies of the Bible that had come from a monastery and wound up preserving them. And We get parts of the Byzantine Codex of the Bible and, and preserved copies of the Bible. They were being used to wrap up as butcher paper. A lot of knowledge died. A lot of knowledge went away. We're now uncovering things uh, from Herculaneum and from Pompeii that were wiped out. I don't know if you all have seen the story. It's actually very amazing. They're using an MRI technique combined with uh, AI generation to read scrolls that were in a library that were turned to carbon. And you can't unwrap the scroll without it uh, being destroyed but they can run it through an MRI machine and extract the data, and now they've been able to use AI techniques to actually read the writings, and we're uncovering lost Roman writings that otherwise would have completely disappeared because so much stuff disappeared during the Dark Ages. That gets me to modern times and back to this video of this Erie County sheriff in New York. If you asked any conservative what would happen if we got rid of bail, they would tell you there would be a massive spike in crime. If you asked any conservative what would happen if you began defunding police, they would tell you a massive spike in crime. Major progressive enclaves of this country are seeing major, major crime waves. Austin, Texas now, in some precincts, lack police. They've treated the police so awful there. They've defunded them. They've cut their salaries. The police have quit. And they're seeing a big crime wave now in Austin, Texas. Crime has surged over 50% of the subway system in New York in the last couple of months. We lose our institutional knowledge. And when we lose our institutional knowledge, bad things creep back in. We are supposed to be stewards of that knowledge, stewards of information. Now, when you get to conservatism, A lot of the conservative movement has embraced populism as Donald Trump has risen. One of the issues and and problems I have with a lot of the conservative movement today is that the conservative movement today is filled with a lot of hucksters and grifters. There are some who are trying to keep the whole together, who are trying to infuse conservatism with the populism and balance it all. I have quite a lot of regard for Kevin Roberts at the Heritage Foundation uh, and he's he's threading a needle and he gets a lot of uh, unbridled hell from some people on the right who feel like he's betraying them and I don't actually think that he is I, I think he he sees that there's this large movement, there's a donor appetite for some shifts, and he's trying to infuse the old with some of the new to keep it all and uh th- there are some people who hate him for it. there's some people who like him for it. there's some people who say success, some people who say it's not there's a lot of dripping disdain with the old from the old guard of what Kevin's doing with the Heritage Foundation. I'm intrigued by what he's trying to do to balance this all and keep a coalition together that the Heritage Foundation has over time uh, tried to preserve. But then there are others in the conservative movement who aren't conservative at all. I, I, I just am disdainful of the efforts of Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk. Uh, it's It's not conservative and it's not principled. It is uh paying a lot of people a lot of money to live luxurious lifestyles in multi million dollar homes in Arizona with beach houses in Florida with no points on the board for the conservative movement. None whatsoever. They talk a good game and they're scamming elderly people. I personally think out of their money and not putting any points on the board. Arizona, they live in Arizona, they pour their resources into Arizona, and Arizona now has a Democratic governor and Democratic senators. It's a garbage organization that had been full of rabid anti-Semites until the outrage got so much they had to do something to keep the donor money coming in. We need stewards of conservatism. We don't need grifters and hucksters. And where the Heritage Foundation, for example, has been uh, trying to amalgamate and, and, and bridge gaps within the conservative movement, there are a lot of people who are like, well, what about the fundamental institutional historic conservatism, the Edmund Burke conservatism, the Russell, Bur- Russell Kirk conservatism, the Ronald Reagan, the Barry Goldwater conservatism, that is, free markets and free people are a good thing, and limited government is a good thing. And we shouldn't be dabbling in pro-unionization like J.D. Vance wants out of Ohio. It's not conservative. We shouldn't be trying to fund government expansion programs and use the government. Because if conservatives can weaponize the government against the left, the left will one day hold power and will weaponize it against us. And arguably, the left is already weaponized against us. And the best solution to the weaponization of government is gutting the government. Because the the, the smaller the government we have, the better off we are. Again, I, I say all the time. I'm a conservative because I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, I know we're all sinners, and I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible, so of course, I want limited government. Where do those people go? Where we, we You don't necessarily want a fusionism. You want some good, honest stewards of old-school conservatism because you still believe it's best. Mike Pence has a $20 million blueprint for building out an organization meant to defend the sentiment that conservatism, when properly defined, is bigger than any one moment, election or person. Real Clear Politics is reporting this by Buddy Phil Wegman over there, great reporter. This was part of the Pitts platform while a presidential candidate when he was warning against unprincipled populism. It was not a political winner, but it remains the mission of his group, advancing American freedom, as they launch what they call the American Solutions Project. Pence is expanding his operation, hiring new staff, bringing on faces familiar with the conservative movement. Ed Fulner, the founder and former president of Heritage, is going to join the board. Victor Smith, the chairman of Catholic University's Board of Trustees, and Art Pope, a North Carolina retail magnate, are going to be it. It's a throwback work. Y'all, we need stewards. When we were in the Garden of Eden, God told us to steward the planet. We were supposed to be good stewards of the planet. The conservative movement needs good stewards. I think very highly of the Heritage Foundation. I think very highly of the American Enterprise Institute and of Americans for Prosperity that advertises on this program. Uh, but I trust Mike Pence philosophically to be a steward with a rudder and a moral compass to say, you know what, this really isn't conservative. And I really hope he does well there. The conservatism Pence seeks to conserve what his group defines as limited government principles, contrasting the populism of the right and the populism of the left. There is this idea now. A lot of people in the 80s and 90s, we call them neoconservatives. It's become a pejorative in a lot of circles, and some people admit it as an anti-Semitic pejorative. What it actually meant, these neoconservatives were liberals who were mugged by reality essentially. They became conservatives particularly in foreign policy because they were deeply anti-communist. They may have been socially liberal, but they were very Reagan conservative in foreign policy. They became neoconservative, and they began to infuse the conservative movement, particularly in foreign policy, with their ideas. And now there's this idea where a lot of people in current times who identify as conservatives because the wokes chased them out of the progressive movement— they are still affiliated with the ideas of progressivism. The way a lot of the neocons remain socially liberal. They could never really ji with the the pro-life movement of the of the conservative movement. And in fact, you see guys like Bill Kristol have fallen away from conservatism, and, and turns out the pro-life cause was never a unifying cause. It was foreign policy, among other things, and a Trump populism pushed him out of the movement. And you see even voices like Jennifer Rubin, who at one time was a neoconservative conservative conservative, but but didn't care about social issues and ran away and and has now repudiated so many of her ideas. You see that, well, you're seeing this now today. We're seeing people who came into the conservative movement chased out of progressivism by the wokes uh, who they're still pro-union. They're still pro-expansive government. They're still pro-expansive social safety net, and they have never learned the lesson that a government big enough to give you everything is a government big enough to take it all away from you. And they're willing to weaponize the government against the left, and they don't understand there's no such thing as a permanent majority in Washington, D.C. At some point, if you give the government power, the other side will be able to use it against you. Mike Pence understands these things. He understands these lessons. He understands that limited government is best. He's not a perfect man. There are criticisms. Many people can rise, but I will tell you this. On the day his conservatism and constitutional convictions were tested, he stood and passed that test on January 6th probably no better person in America to be a steward of authentic conservatism in the United States. We need the institutional memory of the conservative movement because we are going through this realignment in this country and there are wildfires burning in the minds of Americans. Those wildfires are going to burn up and destroy a lot. And we need the monasteries of the mind of the conservative movement preserved. For when the wildfires burn out, and we'll have the ready solutions of conservatism again to remind us this is the way an ordered society should work. Mike Pence being one of the chief stewards I think is a good thing, and we should all support him in that effort. Now, i got to tell you about Stamps.com. Stamps.com is a company I've done business with for 20 of their 25 years, on and off. You know, with my business, when I, I left my practice of law, I didn't need them so I could cancel my account. And then I could resume. I've never had to sign a long-term contract with them. When I need them, I use them, and they're great. They've saved me money. And they can save you money for your business or yourself. You get up to 89% off uh, UPS and post office shipping rates. You could use their mobile app or their, their um, internet app. You can go to Stamps.com, you can find the cheapest rates, the fastest rates, whatever you need. UPS post office, you can arrange pickup at your home or office so you never have to go to a shop and drop off a package. And you can even order supplies from them. Right now, if you go to Stamps.com, you click the microphone, you put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you get a limited time offer with them where you get some free postage, you get a free digital scale, and you can get shipping and saving today with Stamps.com. Uh, you do not have a contract to sign. You can cancel at any time. It is very reasonable. It will save you money. If you ship as much stuff as I do, I use them right now. I've used them in, in just the last couple of days. I think I've used it. I've had to go to Stamps.com at least once a week for the last several weeks sending out stuff to people, and it saves me money every time. It will for you as well. You Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com. You click the microphone in the upper right corner, and you put in ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. get this great offer, the free postage, the free digital scale. You don't have a contract. You don't have a long-term commitment. Stamps.com, you ship and you save today.
2: You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show, the perfect blend of news, analysis, opinion, and cooking. Hang on, is that right? Yeah, cooking. Join Eric's Army of Activists. Text ARMY to 33777 now.
1: Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Real quick at the end, let me take Bill's call here. We've got a couple of people chiming in on this. Bill, welcome. How are you doing, Eric? Good. What's going on? I thought there was a federal statute that said if you offered someone legal Tender legal U.S. currency to pay a debt that they had to accept that as payment of a debt,
0: and if they did not, the debt was basically canceled. They refused uh, payment.
1: Yes and no. Um, if you if you offer legal tender to a government entity, state, local, or federal, they have to take it, uh, but a private business doesn't. A private business could say you got to put it on a credit card or write a check. Okay. Um, thank you for clarifying. Yep. That. Oh I yeah, was, absolutely. I mean, by the way, it's it's, it's, uh, it's thirty one USC fifty one oh three and following. Uh, legal tender says U.S. coins and currency are legal tender for all debts, public charges, taxes, and dues. And then the next section says um, for government, but private businesses um, they can you they can't deny you a currency conversion into legal tender. Meaning, if you give them your credit card. It's got to be in American dollars. Uh, they can't make you pay it and convert it in Chinese money, uh, but they don't. Uh, the other uh, – also, the Federal Reserve has this um, section, 31 U.S.C. 5- 5103, says legal tenders, U.S. coins and currency are legal tender for all debts, public charges, taxes, and dues. The statute means all U.S. money as identified above is valid and legal offer for payment, uh, but private businesses are free to develop their own policies on whether to accept cash unless there's a state law that says otherwise. Uh, So in some states, they say you have to take uh, cash. But most states, actually, uh, private businesses are allowed to tell you, we'll take your debit card or your credit card, but we don't handle cash. This rose after COVID, where people didn't want to exchange paper money and coins and stuff, and so they were making you do it plastic. And in most states, that's perfectly legal. States are, are... Private businesses are allowed to do that. No governmental entity can deny you the use of cash, uh, but a private entity can. um, But they can't make you convert it into foreign currency. That's the way that law works. All right, uh, we are out of time, and I never even got to the UN ambassador talking about a final solution. We'll get there tomorrow. You guys have a great day.